1: Hi, Audie. Howdy. Hi, Audie. Um, Huge
2: fan. We opened our tip line, and you, our listeners, delivered.
0: Hey, Audie. I'm just calling in response to modern-day tipping and what that looks like.
2: I'm constantly getting asked for tips in everything I do. Tipflation, tip creep, whatever you want to call it, you are not imagining it.
3: I used to work my butt off for tips. Today, I can't stand this ridiculous tipping method of everyone you look at, whether you're standing at a kiosk, ordering a sandwich, or you're getting a to-go order.
2: You're getting asked for more tips, and etiquette guides are telling you that those tips should be bigger.
3: I usually tip
0: 25%, half of a half. doesn't really matter the level of service.
2: The movement to abandon tipping at restaurants and move to a living wage predated the pandemic. Then the Me Too movement and the racial reckoning of 2020 brought new awareness about how much the service industry depends on the practice and what a fair tip looks like.
4: I tip about everybody who asks for a tip. I feel we pay extremely low wages in this country and I have privilege to help supplement that.
2: And then there was the spread of touchscreen payment systems.
0: I bought a crumble cookie for almost five dollars.
4: The guy turns around and says, do you want to leave a 20% tip? And I'm like, oh, cookie. it is getting ridiculous.
2: I'm Audie Cornish. On today's episode of The Assignment, we talk about the value versus the cost of good service, what the pandemic revealed about how customers really feel about tipping, what happens when your ideals clash with your economic reality. So a few years ago, some leaders in the restaurant industry took a hard look at tipping, and what they saw didn't look good. The law allowed for them to pay their employees a nominal wage as long as the rest could be made up in tips. In practice, this leads to unequal pay between front-of-house workers, like waiters, and back-of-house staff, like cooks. Not to mention that research has shown that racial and gender biases, even lookism, can affect how customers tip not service. In 2015 and 2016, a wave of chef and restaurant owners responded by getting rid of tipping altogether. And among the leaders in that movement was a vegetarian restaurant in the East Village called Dirt Candy. I wanted to know about how this all works, so we decided to visit one weekday afternoon to talk to employees there before the evening dinner service. Around 3 p.m., chef and owner Amanda Cohen oversees the shift change between the morning prep and evening kitchen team.
4: My nighttime line crew is about to walk in the door, so my daytime crew has to be really finishing up their last task. And then we start to get ready for our family meal.
2: This is how Dirt Candy works. There's one set menu, five courses, $95. There's no line on the receipt at the end of the night for a tip because it's included in the price. So it doesn't matter if it's a busy day or a quiet one or if guests are feeling stingy or generous. Front of house staff already know what they're getting paid. I interrupt Clinton Clark while he's polishing silverware. Yeah, can so, we ask what you make? Is that allowed?
1: I don't know. <laughs> I mean, I don't care. It's, uh, I now, as a captain, I make $37.50.
2: That's $37.50 an hour well above minimum wage for New York City. But he says it's less than what he could make working at a restaurant that operates on tips. Do you miss having, like, good nights, Sometimes, bad nights? yeah,
1: there are random nights. When I hear, like, I have a friend that bartends not too far from here at a place that just opened up, and he was like, $1,500! I was like, oh, <laughs> that hurt, <laughs> that hurt. One night, okay. But he also, like, is stressed, and he, like, will have to sleep all day to go back in the next night and deal. I've been in that bar. It's You deal with some... Attitudes and some, some air.
2: The way you said "air" makes it sound really bad. Yeah. So I'm. <laughs>
1: it is. I, I've lived that life, but my priority is I had to put like mental health and stability at the highest rung.
2: Who makes the most in the uh, hierarchy? Of in tips? the hierarchy,
1: it's like the fair skinned and usually female, because men are the ones who are going to tip more. So it's usually. You go up that rung, and that's usually where it goes. Finally, like I was like, oh, I need to work at places where I make better money and there's a better culture. It's like your priorities change, so you're like, no, that's why like I came here as well. I read up on Amanda, and I was like, okay, that's where I want to be. That's a place I need to be, because I can't after dealing with the craziness that was the pandemic and BLM and all this stuff. I was like, I need a place that I can uh, woosah and come in and enjoy, and everybody's cool, and it's like...
2: So if you read up on her, had you read about, like, how she felt about tipping?
1: Oh, yeah. I feel like that's a, an important aspect. That's In a good I way
2: or a bad way? For
1: me, it was a good way because I didn't want to be somewhere where I have to shuck and jive to be like, hey, guys, tip me more because the darker your skin is, men tend to make less money from tips. So I was like, I got to be somewhere where it's going to be, like, even. I could pay my bills and not stress about that.
2: Sounds good. So what happened? why aren't more restaurants trying this? Moreover, why have others who made a big deal out of trying it given up and gone back to tipping? To get a better grip on this, I asked for more time with Dirt Candy's chef and owner, Amanda Cohen.
4: You can come for family meal
2: anytime. We didn't even let you eat it. And we brought in David Stockwell. He's the co-owner of a restaurant called Fawn in Brooklyn.
3: We are a small-ish local produce Focused neighborhood restaurant, always trying to put our our best foot forward in terms of integrating with the community and making the town a better place.
2: Before this, he was an architect. He started this business in 2016 with his wife, just as the whole no-tipping thing was catching fire. The year before, big restaurateurs like Danny Meyer announced that they were moving to a wage system.
3: We started as a no-tipping restaurant just out out the gate. The, The way it was supposed to play out in our mind was that we would be part of this growing wave of restaurants that were taking this approach.
2: Yeah, it's building. Amanda, you're into it. You're like excited. I'm not alone anymore. Oh my goodness.
4: Every time somebody joined, I was like,
2: thank goodness. (laughs) And uh, David, you're doing the same thing, right? Like you're like, let me try this. I'm new to the business. I'm not stuck in my old ways. Let me give it a
3: shot. Right. I kind of intentionally wanted to be innocent of some of the the dirty realities. I wanted to say, look, we're. I understand this is going to be more challenging, but we want to do the right thing here. This is uh, that the point isn't just to open a restaurant, you know, to play restaurant. The point is to uh, put something positive in the city and be an uh, anchor of something that hopefully builds from there.
2: You're holding your fist in that way that people do when
3: their ideals. When you kind of know you're setting yourself up for a, a more struggle, but you're going to do it anyway because it's the right thing to do.
4: What was the first thing that led you to believe, like, oh, this is actually impossible?
3: Well, uh, impossible took about a year and a half before I fully arrived at that mindset. But there were many clues along the way. Um, they started coming from the service staff. You know, I accepted in the beginning that the restaurant wasn't gonna start to be profitable for a while. We knew that. So I, I wasn't judging it based on a lack of early profitability. Right. I, I but I did start to understand quickly that while we we got some great servers in 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 the very beginning that were that were kind of on board with the idealistic mindset of a no-tipped establishment. After some months of them sort of starting to realize what was going on with their take home pay compared to places they had worked before it was clear they were starting to you know wonder if if it was worth it
4: i mean your servers were taking home how much as a as a non tipped employee
3: so uh, yeah we started off paying them 25 an hour for our starting server rate
2: solid so does that mean everyone in the whole restaurant was making 25 no ish
3: we did our best to bring up the um, the back of house from where the, the industry average was, but it was not going to be feasible for us to just pay everyone $25 as a flat rate opening.
4: And to be on David's side with this, when I went no tipping my servers were paid 25 dollars an hour and my back of house was not paid 25 dollars an hour we just couldn't close that gap when like, there's not enough money to be made and so i think my back of house was maybe making 17 or or 18 dollars an hour maybe even 16 which was way higher than the average but there wasn't enough money at the time to close that gap
3: right you couldn't you couldn't raise your menu prices enough to do that you 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 would turn away business and so there's a there's only so much you can raise those prices before you're you're just not going to be competitive. so you do your best you you bring up the bottom sum from where the average is um, and 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 hope that you can continue that curve as as you build your business
2: so New York has a very specific rule that you cannot take from the tips. Um, so if there's a tip on the bill, that's got to go to the server. The restaurant can't reach in there and say, well, we, we need to share it with everyone. Exactly. And, and it's
4: very particular to New York City.
2: So keeping that in mind, what did your bill look like for a typical diner at the end of the night?
3: So an entree that might have been $25 is now going to be $31 or something along, 32 you know. You're, you're having to make a psychological leap just to add that 20, 22% on.
4: Right. So in a normal restaurant, if the bill without tipping would have been $100, right, we'll make it even. You've paid $25 for your entree, for two entrees, I don't know, two drinks and a salad. It's New York. You've probably only gotten one entree. Um, but at, if you're a no tipping restaurant, the goal is to make that bill $120, so you're still just paying $120. The tip is $20 and with no tip it's it's just included, right? So it would be $120. So it's basically the same except for like a couple of uh, cents for taxes.
2: Where does it break down? Why what makes it hard, David?
3: Well, there are a few points that make it challenging. Um, one, there is just a psychological subconscious approach when guests look at your menu prices, whether they're shopping around for where to eat online or just seeing the menu that we post in the window. They are looking through there. You're asking them to process a piece of information. Oh, Yes, that, that entree is $32, but we're not asking you for a tip at the end of the night. So you're, it's not actually outside of the local kind of market for this kind of ambitious restaurant we're asking them to process that information some do some don't and we've had so many people come in and you know shake our hands because they love that we are there we were doing this but as a restaurant you need all of them to come in the door not half of them (laughs) so you were losing some people that just wouldn't come in because $32 entree is maybe outside of what they think of when they go out to eat
2: After the break, what happens when what you want to do conflicts with what you have to do?
3: It's a hard industry to do the right thing in. And so you have to kind of pick your battles and understand that we want to lift up the tide as much as we can for everybody. We'll be right back.
0: When you work, you work next level. When you play, you play next level. And when it's time to sleep, Sleep Number Smart Beds are designed to embrace your uniqueness, providing you with high-quality sleep every night. Sleep next level.
2: We've seen a number of restaurants that had high-profile switches out of a no-tipping situation, and they've gone back to tipping. And, um, David, this happened to you as well. Well,
3: we're a low-profile establishment that did this. but. um,
2: Uh, What was the moment when you realized, I can't make this work anymore? I don't know what year it was, what time of year it was, like where you were in the business, but... Give me a picture of um, sure. that day or days.
3: We opened in the summer of 2016. We put the effort in through a year and a half. You know, it's not a coincidence that it was now winter time when we decided to make the change. Winter time is for us, but a lot of restaurants in the city, it's the hard season to get through. After the holidays, people don't go out as much. It happened to be the moment where we had to take a good hard look at could we make it through the winter?
2: Could you make this payroll? Can
3: I make payroll? Either? Can I buy goods to operate next week? All of, You know, these are just very real questions uh, that are front and center. And you're thinking, well, if I can't do these things, I'm probably not solving the problems that I wanted to solve by eliminating tipping. Uh, is it is it better for us to kind of swallow that notion for this moment? Be open-minded to try a different model to get things a little more fluid and allow us to to keep our staff all together isn't that at least in this moment better for the people that we intended this to benefit so it, it, it
2: sounds like you're still even wrestling with that moment
3: sure uh, i think i'm a person who will forever wrestle with with these things this is an it's a hard industry to do the right thing in and so you have to kind of pick your battles And understand that we want to lift up the tide as much as we can for everybody. But there are certain forces that we can't just depend on markets to fix.
2: Amanda, what are you
4: Yeah, well, I wanted to just sort of go into the nitty gritty of tipping a little bit and and why it doesn't always work for people. Because one of the comments um, I think that comes out a lot is, well, just pay your staff more. (laughs) and. Why do we have to be responsible for paying your staff more or why do we have to tip them? Or even on top of that, like, why can't you just raise their base salary? And it, it it's not as simple as that. First of all, restaurants don't make that much money. Uh, they don't have to make no money. But this isn't like the most lucrative uh, business. Like if you want to make millions of dollars, I highly suggest never going into the restaurant business. I don't know why you left your career as an architect. I don't know either. (laughs) Um, So there's not that big of a pool of money to start off with. Then as you go no tipping, uh, there's all these hidden costs that... Are really hard to foresee. I mean, people can tell you about them, but until you get the real numbers, uh, you don't know. and And so one of them is that your payroll taxes go up measurably because now all of a sudden, uh, you have you're not taxed as an owner on your server's tips, mm-hmm. right? And once you're pulling in all the revenue and you're paying them wholly, then you are taxed on that. And that's a huge, huge uh, increase. I uh, my pay- payroll taxes every week. Or if I if I had tipping, would be around three thousand, four thousand dollars. And instead, every week they're ten thousand dollars. That's a lot of money for a restaurant. Yeah. Uh, your insurance. So there's the goes payroll up. taxes. Um, what's another hidden cost? Your insurance goes up because all of a sudden you're taxed on your entire revenue, and tips aren't considered part of your revenue. So your limited liability insurance, your workman's comp, that all goes up. Because the insurers look at you as a business that is now worth this larger amount. And then you get into this vicious cycle because every time you try to compensate for something getting raised, you're still getting more taxes on top of it or your insurance is going up. And so it's really hard to find this sort of medium ground where you're doing the right thing and you're making the right amount of money to compensate for it. And you can't raise your prices so to
2: speak right like it it, sounds like there's some sort of ceiling
4: yeah unfortunately um i don't think consumers really want to pay uh what dining in a restaurant is worth we're not there yet um you know we only charge 95 dollars for our five course menu with dirt candy and it's uh that does include tips but the reality is (laughs) it's probably worth a lot more david has a restaurant in brooklyn there. It's harder to charge more in Brooklyn than it is in Manhattan. Uh, So there's all these sort of, well, you know, if I'm going to go out to eat in Brooklyn, I'm I'm not going to pay that much. It's not like I'm at a fancy restaurant in Manhattan. There's all these ideas people have about what something should be worth that is actually absolutely not based in reality.
2: It's funny. I'm seeing more and more op-eds here and there where a restaurant person will say, you know, if you can't afford the tip, if you can't afford the plate, you shouldn't go out to eat.
4: Mean but True
2: i I wrestle with it because I do think people think of dining and and that experience differently. Like, I don't think it's ever worked just to say, "Hey, if you can't tip, you shouldn't leave your house. I don't think that's ever that argument has ever worked on anyone who still wants to have that special moment.
4: no, but maybe you need to save up a little bit more money. It's a special occasion. Food isn't a luxury. Food is a necessity, right? So And there are certain places where you need to have restaurants because they're food deserts. That's outside of this conversation. Dining in a restaurant is actually a luxury. And I remember when I was a little kid, we didn't go out to eat every week. You know, we went out maybe once every two weeks and my parents would save their money and and we would go out and they could afford that dinner every two weeks. And it, it was considered a real luxury, you know, something special. Not all restaurants are for all people all the
2: time. But it sounds like it would make it even harder for restaurants that are not tasting course menu $95, right? Like your local pizza parlor or, you know, like any kind of fast, casual mom and pop small thing. You're like diners. There's a there's a mindset that's like at a certain point. This shouldn't cost that much more.
4: But it does. (laughs) So shouldn't is at Is the wrong word. It, it just does. And, and maybe that means you don't buy a coffee that morning and you save that money to tip the person or to pay a little bit extra for that pizza. Food just costs money. Sir, labor costs money. Rent costs money. There's so many costs that go into a restaurant.
3: Right. And most people, I think, when, if you think about the labor side of things, they want workers to be fairly paid uh, as a principle. But they also know that they don't want to pay more than a certain amount for an experience. But that experience is really brought to you by so many people making it happen for you.
4: When you went back to tipping, did you lower your prices?
3: We did. Yeah, we immediately lowered them by about that 20%. Of course, when you do all the math with the payroll taxes and all these things, our bottom line increased by more than that 20%. I kind of didn't want it to be the case, but it was the case that it made business work in ways that it just wasn't before that critical moment for us.
2: That was in 2018. And Fawn wouldn't be the last restaurant to bail on the no-tipping movement. The pandemic accelerated that trend and sparked new conversations about the value of service and of restaurant work.
4: There was this actual movement where all of a sudden people were like, oh, we're not getting tipped as much as as we were at the beginning of pandemic. And what does this mean? And you were having that sort of um, racial reckoning and people were like, oh, why aren't we getting paid as much? And and how do we change this? And then you saw this huge drain from the restaurant industry between servers and uh, cooks, people who were like, I work really hard and I'm not getting paid enough Or I'm a server and I don't want a job anymore where I'm working for tips where somebody might be paying me because of how I look or what color my skin is. And so you saw this, like, all of a sudden we lost so much staff, front of house, back of house. Our customers were there, but our staff wasn't.
3: And I think that it spreads beyond just full service restaurants. You start to see tipping at other adjacent businesses like the butcher shop the fishmonger, uh, the, you know, they start asking for a tip when you...
2: Right. And with the spread of the technology, right, to do contactless payments, sure. the tipping button is built in, and most times the base of it is 18 to
4: yeah. 20%. they just swing that screen around. Right. Like, oh, but it could okay. be for a bottled water.
3: Yeah. for that a, Yeah, a business where it. people don't assume that the, the, the workers are depending on that for their livable wage, and now all of a sudden they're asking for that. It makes you... You ask yourself a lot of questions. A, you're like, "Am I, do I need to tip? I feel like I'm going to this business and paying a lot. And what I was planning on spending 50 bucks for my groceries, and now I have to spend 60 bucks. It makes you think, is this required? Do, it, it, there's this kind of moment of anxiety that comes with these new versions of tipping that came out. I'm not saying that that's directly related to what's going on in the restaurant, but I think it's all somewhat related.
2: Does it make people even... I guess, more sensitive to gratuity in a restaurant setting?
4: Well, it's such a confusing moment for people, right? Like, how much are things worth? <laughs> we don't sort of have an idea and uh, a general consensus of how much something is worth and how much should I pay for that bottle of water, you know? Because, and And I think something that happened during the pandemic is, particularly in restaurants, that fourth wall got broken down. It's also about like what is service
2: and coming out of this period where we had contactless service, (laughs) right? And, And we paid kind of extra for that. There's a question here about like what does it even mean to have service that you want to show that gratuity for?
4: Yeah, and I think how much is it worth for you to be served really and what should that cost be? It's really up in the air and we don't have a, unfortunately, we don't have a one answer to that question for everywhere in the country.
3: Tipping is very complicated because people don't know how much uh, and what kind of establishments and they don't, you're, you're kind of allowing businesses to put one price on the menu and then knowing full well that you're expected to tip this amount afterwards, but you're not posting all these things. It's almost like intentionally clouding the issue and making it more complex than it all should be.
2: How would you like people to start thinking about this going forward?
3: It would be ideal and and best if people truly understood what went into making that experience happen. We all want everyone who's part of making that experience happen to have a, a fair living wage. It's really difficult for restaurants across the board to make that happen. I think we would all love to pay everyone even more. This is a lot of people putting really hard work in to make this thing happen for you.
2: Amanda, you've seen this movement among restaurateurs kind of go through its ups and downs and growing pains. What's the thing you want listeners to sort of take away from this moment from kind of like your vantage point?
4: Bear with us Um, that uh, restaurants are expensive, but they're not overpriced. And it's a very big difference. Most restaurants are priced so that everybody can make a wage, a living wage. The owners, it's not like we're those restaurants in Mykonos, right? Which is like $1,000 for a plate of calamari. Um, We're not all riding off in the sunset in our Ferraris. And that, uh, bear with us as we go through the struggle to make this industry a better place for everybody, from the dishwashers, to the servers, to the farmers, to the restaurant owners.
2: That's Amanda Cohen, chef and owner of Dirt Candy in Manhattan, and David Stockwell, co-owner of Fawn in Brooklyn. We also want to thank the entire staff of Dirt Candy for allowing us into their kitchen on a busy afternoon. We also want to thank you, our listeners, Nathan, Lisa, Joshua, Drew, Lisa Marie, Aaron, Stephanie, and Tony. Thank you for calling in and sharing your thoughts on Tipping. And if any of you have an assignment for us, give us a call at 202-854-8802. We might feature your voicemail in a future episode of our show. The Assignment is a production of CNN Audio. This episode was produced by Carla Javier and Isoke Samuel. Our producers are Madeline Thompson, Jennifer Lai, Lori Gallaretta, and Dan Bloom. Our senior producer is Matt Martinez. Mixing and sound design by David Shulman. Dan DeZula is our technical director. Steve Lichtai is our executive producer. Special thanks to Katie Hinman. I'm Audie Cornish, and thank you for listening.
1: Hey, I'm journalist Sam Sanders. I'm poet Saeed Jones. And I'm producer Zach Stafford. And we are the hosts of a podcast called Vibe Check.
3: On Vibe Check, we talk about everything news, culture, and entertainment,
1: and how it all feels. That's right. We talk about any and everything on our show, from real-life issues like grief to music and movie critiques, and that barely scratches the surface.
3: Yes, indeed. And it doesn't stop there. We have got a lot to say. So join our group chat, come to life. Follow and listen to Vibe Check wherever you get your podcasts.